The reading is taken from Colossians 1, 15 to 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good. Uh, let's, uh, Let's ask for God's help as we begin. The Apostle Paul prays that since the day he's heard of the Colossians' faith, love, and hope, that they've not stopped praying for them, asking God to fill them with knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And Father, we pray that same prayer for us as a church family. Please, in your goodness, fill us with the knowledge of your will by your Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we we're looking at uh, Colossians chapter 1 and uh, looking at this section of Colossians, which is very different from the rest of the letter because it's a poem or a song about why the Lord Jesus is enough. And remember, last week we saw that there's nothing in this present creation that we need on top of him. There's no top-up Jesus. Everything in this creation has been made through him, for him, and by him. And so there's nothing else we need. Well, this morning, the camera shifts focus, not from this present world, but onto the new world to come. See, Paul, we didn't look at this, but Paul has spoken of the hope of the Christian. It's there in chapter 1, verse 13. He says that for the Christian, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son he loves And the question we're asking this morning, is Jesus enough to do that? Not just is Jesus enough in this present world, we saw that last week, he is, but is Jesus enough to get us into this world to come? Now, I don't know about you, but I think we often have quite a difficult relationship when it comes to the future, to the world to come. The future is something we all kind of live, Uh, we can't escape it, the future just happens. I mean, it's happening now as I speak. And we have to work on the assumption that the future is better than the present. It's why we invest, don't we, and save up our money, because we think that actually not blowing it all now on a drone will be much better to save it for the future. It's why we work out in the gym, not me, may I add, because we think that our body in the future will thank us if we work hard now. But the future can also be a great source of fear, can't it? Because we just don't know what's around the corner. We build up a big pension pot, but then uh, we might lose our job, or the investments might take a nosedive. Or we work out in the gym, but it doesn't matter because we're struck with an illness. That means the body doesn't function as we hoped. And of course, we've got that constant clock ticking 
uh, down to the time of our own funerals. And even for the Christian, that promise of the world to come, we know it's good on the one hand, but it can be difficult to believe that, can't it? It can be difficult because of death to wonder if it's true. And it can be difficult sometimes to think, would we be part of it? Am I going to mess up? Am I going to break the rules? Which means that I'm going to be barred from entry into that new world. And I don't know about you, but I think some of that comes from the fact that it's so intangible. The Christians speak about heaven and the new creation, and of course we affirm that, the Bible teaches us that. But it just seems so different from this world. And so I don't know about you, but my eyes often focus onto this world and these priorities, rather than being confident about the world to come. But this morning, Paul wants us to see that Jesus is uniquely qualified to bring us into that kingdom. He's uniquely qualified to bring us into the future so that you and me need not fear what is around the corner and that you and me may have absolute confidence in Jesus that we can build our future with him. What gives us that confidence? Well, we see here that Jesus is qualified because he defeats death, He's qualified because he brings peace, and he's qualified, so we need to keep with him. See, first of all, he defeats death. There is a great hurdle, isn't there, when it comes to the future hope. We could speak about heaven, we could speak about a new creation, but we can't escape the grim reaper's reach. And it's no different for Christians. We have a different future, but it can seem hard to grasp, hard to imagine. And of course, we're embedded, aren't we, in a culture that doesn't talk about death, doesn't really think about it. We often look back to the Victorians down our noses, don't we, and we think, well, their big taboo was sex, they never talked about it, but they did at least talk about death, where our great taboo is death, but we obsess about sex. And so it's very difficult, isn't it, to contemplate that death, and when we think about it, Well, it can fill us with all sorts of fears and at least take away our confidence in the hope to come. Actually, some of our kind of uh, people in our culture are being a bit more honest about death, uh, perhaps with the pandemic. But um, let me give you an example uh, of what what, what I came across. That's not the example. Um, If I got my PowerPoint slide up there. Don't worry. That's fine. Um, so uh, there's a band called Elbow, uh, which I um, love to listen to. We've got a few nods there. And Elbow are great. They're kind of gritty, kind of blokey blokes. And um, their, their albums are very good because they're, they're often optimistic. And they sing about uh, quite optimistic things like love and happiness and that type of thing. But actually, their last album took a real turn. Uh, their last album was a lot more raw, uh, a lot more... Um, gritty. And uh, here's some lyrics for their opening song uh, called Dexter and Sinister. He says this, and I don't know Jesus anymore. An endless sleep is awaiting me. I'm a bird in a hurricane with the heaviest heart jack hammering in me. And I don't know Jesus anymore. I mean, it's pretty clear that that was not the uplifting album that we've had in the past. But actually, that's where we're left, isn't it? When we're honest, if we don't know Jesus anymore, if he is just an empty hope, 
Well, an endless sleep awaits us. And of course, as Christians, we're not immune from that fear, are we? See, we look at a funeral and it feels so hopeless. It feels so empty. And the best we can do is to push it out of our minds and focus on this life now. But verse 18 shows us why that is not the thinking of the Christian. Verse 18 shows us a completely different perspective. Have a look at verse 18. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So then in everything, he might have supremacy. Notice the language there from last week. Last week we saw, didn't we, that Jesus was the firstborn over creation, verse 15. But now we see he's the firstborn from the dead. Last week, firstborn over creation. This week, he's the firstborn from the dead. And so Jesus was the supreme one over this creation because he made it, but now he's supreme over a new creation because he is the firstborn from the dead. That's what Paul means when he says the word head of the church. I don't know about you, but when I've read that in the past, I've kind of thought, that's a bit of an anticlimax. Here we've got Jesus, the kind of head of the cosmos, who's kind of thrown all the stars into space, and then we read verse 18, he's head of the church. And it just sounds a little bit kind of uh, of an anticlimax. But actually, the church is the most incredible thing, because what Paul is speaking about here is not a building, not even a denomination, not even the Church of England, would you believe? But he's speaking about a new humanity. In fact, the word church, it comes from the idea of calling out people. And Paul here is speaking of this new humanity that has been called out of this world to build a new creation. And so the question is, why can we be confident in the face of death? Well, because Jesus is firstborn from the dead. Now, maybe we ask the question, that's good for Jesus, but how does that connect with me? Uh, How does what Jesus go through affect me now, especially when I have to face death and it fills me with all sorts of fears? But notice verse 18, when these things happen. uh, happen. Have a look at verse 18 again, and uh, I'll read through it again. Just notice the tenses uh, of these words. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. See, I've spoken about the future, haven't I? But in some ways, that's not right, because Jesus is these things now. In other words, he has risen from the dead already. And so it's not that we kind of have to hope for heaven uh, as some sort of thing in the future that hasn't really happened yet. Actually, Paul says that because of Jesus's resurrection, that new creation has been dragged into this present world, And that future hope is actually now in Jesus. And that should transform our whole perspective. See, you and me need not fear death, for Jesus has already conquered it. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 12. See what Paul says here uh, to the church. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved... Uh, I don't mean that verse. It's a lovely verse, but it's not the one I meant. I meant verse 3. Chapter 3, verse 3. That's what I said, I think. Chapter 3, verse 3. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is your life, will appear, then you will appear him with glory. Again, look at the tense. He says, for you have died. Your life is now hidden with Christ. All we're waiting for is for Christ to appear when we will appear with him in glory. And so the point that Jesus was raised is the point where we're raised with him. Um, I don't know if you remember Margaret Keenan, uh, probably one of the most unsung heroes of um, the last 12 months. Um, I did have a picture of her. I don't know if we can make it appear, but you may remember her because she was, oh, here she is in a Christmas jumper. That's such a great jumper uh, to wear as the world were watching. But um, she got the first kind of non-trial vaccine uh, back in December last year. And you'll remember the shots of, um, literally the shot she was receiving and then the shots of the cameras as she uh, took that vaccination. And it was a great moment, wasn't it? It was quite emotional watching it. Because you thought, uh, I thought as I watched it, uh, here is the end of this pandemic. Here's the beginning of the end of what we've gone through for the last 18 months. And so as she received her injection, in some sense, our kind of hopes as a nation and a world were wrapped up in what she experienced. And in some similar way, uh, as we look at Jesus and his resurrection, what we're not seeing is just his uh, conquering of death, but we're seeing the conquering of death for all people in him. And so as we look at Jesus, we can have hope uh, that he will raise us all. Now, what does this mean for us when it comes to the future? Well, the future, therefore, is not just some sort of empty wish. It's not just some sort of vague hope in life after death. It is real. It's evidenced because Jesus is raised. I know lots of us come to St. Mary's to look into the Christian faith, and that's fantastic. And as you're thinking through things, this is a place to focus because the hope of the Christian, uh, Christian faith does not rest in some way in how we feel. Nor does it rest in some sort of empty hope, but it rests in the resurrection. And the question you want to be asking yourself is, did Jesus really rise? Because if he did, it doesn't matter how I feel or what I make of it, it is true because of him. But secondly, all of us, it means we do not need to fear death. We don't need to uh, live this life fearful of what is around the corner because Jesus has done enough. He is enough. See, Good Friday did look very empty, didn't it? Uh, people took Jesus' body down from the cross. They put him in a tomb. They were in tears. Some walked home thinking the hope of Israel was over. But we remember there was Easter Sunday, don't we? Where Jesus rose, he appeared. And if there is Easter Sunday, well, this new world has begun. And so we can have absolute hope in what's to come. Here's what uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And it makes us a lot more confident when it comes to this new world to come. I don't know about how you think about the new creation, how many times you think about it on a day-to-day -day basis, but I know from my perspective, it's not enough. And one of the reasons it's not enough is because it feels so intangible. It's something I tuck away for the future. But actually, because of Easter Sunday, actually that world has begun now. And I can begin to invest in it. See, we have a hope in the future that even death cannot touch. 
because Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, we can be absolutely confident that we are with him and we'll be seen with him. That's the second reason, though, to be confident, and that is because Jesus has brought peace. So there's a second hurdle, isn't there, uh, other than death? There's judgment. Uh, yes, Jesus may get us through death, but how do we know he can get us through the judgment to come? And I remember knowing one lady years ago who was a lovely Christian, she loved the Lord Jesus, but actually she just had this fear that somehow the whole kind of new creation project would kick off and she'd be left behind. And she just couldn't get over that kind of fear of thinking she'd be kind of barred at the pearly gates. And of course our culture doesn't really speak much about this fear, it's only a fear that we tend to think about. Because if there's no God, there's no judgment. And if God does exist, well, often people imagine him to be a kind of Morgan Freeman-type figure who's very nice, but not God. But actually, there's a huge contradiction, isn't there, in our culture? Because actually, we care enormously about justice. Just think back to last summer and the outcry at the murder of George Floyd, and rightly so. Or the vaccine, uh, we're crying out, aren't we, that it's shared with um, poorer countries as well as rich ones. We know instinctively that justice is something that's important. We feel it in our bones. And so it's a contradiction, isn't it, to think that justice should matter so much to us and this world, but not matter to God. But of course, the moment we acknowledge that, it gets very uncomfortable, doesn't it? Because actually that brings into question our standing with God. And when we look at Colossians, we see that actually it doesn't pull any punches. Look at verse 21 of chapter 1. Paul says this, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. See, it's not that we just strayed away from God. We were his enemies. That we were alienated, cut off from him. And I guess as we hear that, some of us may brush that off and think that doesn't sound too bad. But I guess for many of us, we've got sensitive consciences and we think, what if that's me? What if I think I'm trusting, but actually uh, I'm not really trusting? Or, or what if I mess up? Or what if I stumble and break the rules at some point? Or what if God just changes his mind and we start to fear what's coming in the future? But again, Christ is enough. Look at verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now that word reconcile, it's, um, it's, it's a word that's only used in the New Testament and it's a kind of beefed up version of bring together uh, that Paul uses here. And um, what he means by that is not just an end of hostility. It doesn't mean like two friends give up having an argument and then walk and go their separate ways. It's not agree to disagree. But it's actually the process in which sworn enemies become best friends. I know this is a poor example, but I love these kind of things you see on YouTube of footballers that hated each other once, but now are friends and sort of laughing along like Patrick Vieira and Roy Keane. I don't know if you remember back to the days where Roy Keane and was squaring up to Patrick Vieira in the Old Trafford Tunnel. They absolutely hated each other. Um, and uh, when it comes to Roy Keane, you believe it's probably true, not just an act. 
But now you see them on these kind of uh, programs commentating, and they couldn't be any uh, cozier with one another. Now, I know that's a very trivial example, but that's so much greater, isn't it, when it comes to God. It's not just that he gives up hating us, uh, he gives up judging us, and we give up hating him. But actually, God becomes friends with us. He embraces us. And of course, we, if we're looking for an example of that, uh, we don't look to Patrick Vieira and Roy Key. we look to Paul, because he knew that personally in his bones, didn't he? He persecuted the church. He was a young religious zealot who went from town to town getting Christians to bring them and put them on trial and to put them in prison. And yet Jesus met him on the road and reconciled himself to Paul. Now, how does that reconcile happen? Verse 20, through him to reconcile all things. It is through Jesus, isn't it? It's not through rules, not through going to church, not through doing the right thing, keeping our nose clean. It is through Christ and Christ alone. And if case we're in any doubt of that, you've just got to look at how significant this uh, reconciliation is. Uh, Just look at the language of verse 20. He's reconciled to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Uh, And you'll remember last week we saw those same words, verse 16, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth. And so it's not that Jesus saves me on my lonesome. Actually, Jesus' death and his resurrection reconciled the whole cosmos. I wonder if you think about that. It's not just me and my salvation. Actually, it's the whole earth has been reconciled. The whole of heaven has been put back in right order. And so, of course, it's crazy to think that my kind of doing the right thing will somehow twist God's arm. Actually, salvation is something that is way beyond our capabilities. It is only through him and his blood. Now, again, how does this help us when it comes to the future? Well, remember last week we saw that there is that temptation to top up Jesus. There are all sorts of religious leaders telling us that we need to do extra routines, extra Uh, extra religious practices. We need to not do things. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 21, uh, Paul describes some of those. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. But actually, those people forget that this hurdle can only be overcome by Jesus and has been done in his death. But secondly, if we fear death, well, we fear, fear judgment rather, we so often look in the wrong place. Actually, look at the time in again, verse 19. It is that Jesus has reconciled all things. It's not that Jesus might do it. It's not that we're waiting for forgiveness to come. But actually, that has happened in Christ. I love this quote. I've quoted it before, but it's just so helpful for me. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. Because I don't know about you, it's so easy to look at me and my performance and take my eyes off of Christ's finished work. So as we come into land, hopefully our third point will be much shorter, but it shows us what we're to do with these verses. Jesus is qualified, so we're to keep with him. See, Jesus is not just enough in this present world. He is enough for the future. Nothing is needed outside of him. See, now he's reconciled us. Now, He's brought in this new creation. 
Death cannot touch that hope. Judgment need not be feared. Everything is solved by Jesus. And there's one little detail here that doesn't come out in the translation. I often you know, try not to talk about translations too much because on the whole they're pretty good. But actually there's, a, there's an extra detail missing here. And it's missing for a good reason because it's a bit clunky in English. But in verse 20, there's an extra through him. So when he says, through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross, there's another through him. And they've left it out for good reason, of course, because it does sound a bit redundant. But actually, Paul puts it in because he wants us to see it is through him, through him. It's like Paul's getting his highlighter out or putting the bold text on or putting a neon sign around this and saying it is through him, through the cross, that these things happen. And it's a reminder, isn't it, that it is so easy to stray, not just personally, but as a church from, from Christ, uh, not by denying him, but just having our eyes on our own performance or our own things. But actually, Christ is enough. And Paul says it is through him and for him and to him that our focus should be. This week, we've put some questions on the bottom of your handout, and um, this isn't, you know, homework as such. I'm not going to collect it in for marking or anything like that. Uh, but hopefully, you know, I, I can talk about how this affects me, but I'm sure that there's a, a number of different responses uh, for each and every one of us. Now, I'm not going to weird anyone out. I'm not going to ask you to answer these out loud. But do take this away. Perhaps even, may I suggest, bring it up at coffee if it's not too awkward. Uh, but it'd be great to think through these things and think, where do I doubt that Jesus can get me to new creation? And how do these things that Paul teaches here encourage me? And how can we encourage one another to keep our sights on Jesus? Let's pray. For God was pleased to have always fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. And so, our Father, we pray that as Paul cries out to the church here, that we would not take our eyes off Jesus, that you would give us great confidence in his conquering of death, in his reconciling us to the Father. And so, Father, would we continue to be a church that looks to him, encourages one another in him, and sets our sights and goals and aspirations on him. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.